Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitarist or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. You know what it's like when you come home, you take out your Taco Bell from the bag, you open up your refrigerator, and you want to put some of that sour cream on your plate, and guess what? You haven't got any. The tears that fall from your face, the pain, the agony of not having sour cream in the house. I know, David. It is, te- it is tearful. You can, you can dry your eyes now. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Jim. I all I could think about when you're talking about the tears and the agony was like and blood is freedom stained, you know? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> some, some Iron Maiden lyrics in there. There's um, there, there is a reason they call out uh that one uh South Park episode Chipotle away. Uh, <laughs> uh, For those uh, who watch South Park. Um I can't relate, Jim, because I don't I don't eat sour cream. You really don't? No. Wow. I know no. I have a friend who doesn't eat sour cream or mayonnaise. Um, I'm not big on mayonnaise either. Yeah, he's totally disgusted by it. Uh it depends on what I'm eating. So like I'm right now I'm doing this crazy diet that my doctor recommended to me, and it's it's relevant to the show because I'm I'm trying to lose weight so I don't look so ridiculous on stage. Right. Um and um he recommended I do a fasting diet. And oh yeah, yeah. So he's got me on what they call sixteen eight, which yep. we modified slightly. But basically, um, I get up at I get up at my normal time, which is like five six o'clock in the morning, and then I can have coffee or water until like ten or eleven. Yep. Then I can then I can start eating, and then I eat until like six between six and seven, yep. and then I and then I, that's it, right? So, um, on top of that, I'm trying to cut out more and more carbs, so. <laughs> No more burritos, burrito bowls only. Um, I eat like <laughs> a burrito bowl is not a burrito. Yeah. The whole world is a burrito bowl, not a it's burrito. Just a, it's just a bowl. Um, <laughs> it's a bowl. And and I don't no white rice. Like I'm doing brown rice. I'm doing. I mean, like I I'm having less than 150 carbs a day. Um, and I, that, honestly, it's not that different from what I normally eat, which right. is why I'm kind of laughing because I'm like, this is I'm not going to lose any more weight than normal because. I mean, right. the same stuff. 
Like, right. so, but as far as the, um, the fasting thing goes, I'll tell you, I've got more energy and more like get up and go than I've ever had. And it's just yeah. because I don't have the weight in my gut of all this yeah. garbage. Um, and then the other thing is like, I think my body is, is starting to, to wean off of the insulin, like the sugars. And, and so my insulin's dropping and like, yeah. I'm starting to process fat instead of processing like, you know, sugars like everybody does. Um, yep. because we we're a crappy society and we, and we feed ourselves too much and we eat the wrong things. Well, um, and, so and, uh, um, the things that are good for us are expensive and the things that are bad for us, they're expensive yeah, and, they're, I mean, and they're typically, I'm going to say this, typically expensive and typically more difficult to prepare and to have ready. Where yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Well, I mean, so like one of the best foods you can possibly eat is broccoli. And right. I know people will be like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, look, I love broccoli. You can eat broccoli. It's easy to prepare. You just throw it in the, the microwave with the little, like, frozen steamer things. And they're yep. decent. They're not terrible. And it's just... I eat it plain. I eat it. I wash it and eat it. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just broccoli, folks. Like, yeah. you can buy stuff that's cheap and eat good. It's I, this whole myth that you have to, like, buy avocados and crap. That's because well, see, people like to eat those things. Those are good foods for you that people like to eat. So guess what? You're going to pay more. <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine is on vacation right now in uh, – where is he? He's in um, Louisiana, and he's right, right down in the – right down in um, – uh, what's the – Arles. He's on and, the quote-unquote uh, Redneck Riviera. Yes. So he's right in New Orleans. He's, his wife is a New Orleans native. She's Hispanic. Um, she grew up there. Um, and it's hilarious because um, he sent me this picture and he had for dinner, he had three uh, shrimp. Most people would think, oh, three shrimp. <laughs> they were like, they were like this. I was like, wow. <laughs> You know, and uh, I, I said, oh, I miss those kind of shrimp where you can go and you can eat three of the big prawn. Um, dude, I got a comment about last week's episode. So I wanted to hit myself in the face when I was editing it. Like, uh, for, for our listeners, you all know we play devil's advocate on the show. and We do it a lot. We have to. I was um, when I was talking about Joe Morgan. Yeah, I was frustrated. But um, I part of me was like. Yeah, I don't agree with his comments, and that can get me frustrated. But the other part of me is like, I don't care what that guy says. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just yeah, really don't. I mean, like, and that doesn't make any difference to anyone, <laughs> right? I, I don't think a single person. I, I, I can bet that ninety nine point nine percent of the guitar community didn't hear or care about what Joe Morgan said. Yeah, and that's and that's why it didn't ring any bells with everybody. A lot, you know, it's just like the things. I sit around the house and I'll sing um, fake um, jingles to myself because I, I, I have Hulu, so they compress the intros and stuff. They don't have all those outros and intros to, to commercials. <clears throat> but there's this, this television show that they adapted for Hulu called um, A Homicide Hunter, and I watch it regularly. And so it's funny because, um, long story short, the... the um, Central character is named Joe Kenda. He's Lieutenant Joe Kenda. He's a real cop who uh, was a homicide detective in Colorado Springs and 
they've solved all these crimes and they're kind of they do little reenactments which are you know very badly done by really bad actors and you know and real bad blood effects and stuff yeah but anyway um they always pick like you know really cute couple then they show the real people and look anything like those people but um so every time that they go to commercial go to commercial i'm using air quotes it's just and then they come back in and you see them like in a different pose then they go right to the thing and of course they always have like an outro what will we find and then when they come in you know previously you know and so it's like oh and there's always like a wrap up until you get see there's always like yeah. 30 seconds of useless crap so i i find myself sitting there going do it they say lieutenant joe can i come in the kitchen you go to kitchen oh can I? <laughs> wow wow and i'm sitting there what does that have to do i'm with- the only person in the house what does that have what? to do with my with my yeah? Well, other than you being completely nuts, what does that have to do with me being de- playing devil's advocate to Joe Morgan? It speaks to my mental state. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, so but, I've been yeah. listening to I've been listening to a lot of King Diamond. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of King Diamond lately, and. Um, my wife has discovered that she hates King Diamond. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. I... <laughs> if you don't know who King Diamond is, he's a self-avowed Satanist uh, guitar player, not guitar player, but um, metal singer from uh, from a band called Merciful Fate, who then went on a solo career. And, um, yep. I, you know, any of these guys that say they're Satanists, I just kind of laugh. Because I'm like, really? Um <laughs> I don't really believe any of them are. I believe it's a thing. It's a marketing tool that they use. I believe most of them are probably atheists. Um, so it's, it is, I mean, like I look at that music, it's just nothing but, but pure entertainment. Um, and I don't, I I've had people in my life that tell me, um, people that would be geared more towards the praise and worship community who told me like, you can't let that stuff in because even if you look at it for entertainment, you know, it's going to make you, it's going to make you think it's cool. And then you're going to end up, you know, buying the Satan Bible or whatever. That's not going to happen, folks. Um, I, I, li- I, I'm an English major. I can appreciate a lot of things, but I can also recognize evil for what it is. And, uh, so I, it's pretty clear that, you know, bands like ghost and, uh, um, and, uh, King diamond are not really evil. They're just entertaining. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just like uh, um, so. Anderton did a, an interview this week with a guy called Almond Ra, Almond Ra, yeah. and you know, and from a band called Lordy. Yeah, and I know who that is. And so <clears throat> I had to laugh because uh, Lee Anderton is trying to stay you know, like not give away this guy's character. And the poor guy, he, he did go over some cool stuff. So he wanted to have some coffee, right? So they give him coffee, but he, and then he pulls out a straw. I got a straw. <laughs> he was drinking coffee through a straw. And he goes, and then uh, he goes, he goes, oh, coffee through a straw. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had to laugh because the poor guy, he's like, yeah, you learn things like this. He goes, we, you know, if we don't eat before we get in the costume, we don't eat. 
And if we don't drink before we get in costume, we got to have a straw. Well, he goes, it doesn't matter. He goes, we, we had done some gig and he, they went across the place for uh, beers, but they didn't have any way to drink them. And it's like, uh, and then somebody goes, here's some straws. And he was like, from then on, I always carried straws. So. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's like, that's like Buckethead's situation getting picked up from the airport <clears throat> to yeah. audition for the Red Hot Chili Peppers in <laughs> the mask and the, the, the uh, bucket. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get much weirder than that. Um, exactly. You know, so he changed his bucket to like, that's a whole other thing because um, apparently KFC doesn't use the bucket anymore or something. Right. No. So he had to like come up with some other design because. Yeah. Right. Well, didn't he get, didn't he get um, cease and desisted from KFC? He said he uses something like it, but it's, it, no it's a possibility. Exactly. It's a possibility, but it's funny if you look at it, like it's pretty clear that uh, it's an obvious, like it's a gag. What? It was once a KFC bucket, you know, like, it's a gag. Exactly. Um, you got to wonder how he came up with that. But yeah, so uh, the cease and desist thing I wanted to talk about since I've been listening to King Diamond. Yeah. Um, Jim, because we, we kind of went back and forth on this Facebook, but I thought we, I thought it'd be an interesting discussion for the show. So King Diamond, um, he paints his face, right? He does like the black and white makeup, which is kind of akin to like pre corpse paint that they're doing in the black metal community. Right. Um, and he's probably the proto black metal guy. Like that's, I mean, I could see the, a lot of those people like emulating him. Yeah. Um, he's been out for a long time. And, but but the funny part is in his early days, I think they got through the Merciful Fate rest stuff, and then they like they went did the first uh, the first King Diamond record, and then then Gene Simmons saw him on TV or whatever, and then sued him, and and he didn't sue him because like they ripped off a song or something. He sued him because his makeup looked too much like Gene Simmons's make makeup. Yeah, I think I think I remember that <clears throat> honestly. Um, the, the song I was thinking about Kiss was Black Diamond, not King Diamond. That's what. Yeah. Um, but I do remember seeing King Diamond and thinking, wow, he looks a lot like Gene Simmons as far as the look went. Yeah. But I mean, so, like, if you're going to have black and white makeup, you're going to look like Gene Simmons in Kiss. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, each one of them came up with, a, I mean, when Kiss came out, Kabuki makeup had been in theater for. Yeah. I mean, millennia. this is not. Right. Come on. It's, nothing new the you know the, the asian theaters have been using it for years <clears throat> so you can't say oh kiss came up with it nobody i don't think gene simmons was saying that i don't know if you remember but gene simmons's makeup has has definitely changed over the years oh sure <clears throat> and in the beginning it really wasn't all that flamboyant oh. it, it, well, I can't imagine he had, you know, upside down crosses on his face. I mean, that, no, <laughs> that's no. not, that sounds like something uniquely King Diamond. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so the early, but I can remember one of the early ones. I think he, he had a look like that. Um, a lot of the, the musicians that came out at that time did. Um, but it was <clears throat> um, King Diamond. I mean, uh, nobody who saw King Diamond thought, wow. That's Gene Simmons. Yeah, like he's trying to look like Gene Simmons. Yeah, maybe yeah, if you no. maybe if Gene Simmons decided instead of the uh, that downward V thing that he has, like he had you right know, uh, an upside down cross. <laughs> right, right. There was I no mean, upside down. Cross. There are certain so. things that even Gene Simmons won't cross, and that's yeah. one of them. Yeah, um, it is. And his mother would have slapped him. Uh, yeah. Well, he's he's Jewish, right? Yeah. So I mean that may not have as much of a impact on. Oh that. no no, they're, 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 it's a different thing. But. Oh okay. 
Well, I was just going to say because um, it, from a marketing perspective, that would be bad. You know, like yeah. for, for him, that would be bad. But I mean, yeah. you could picture this King Diamond basically like ushered in people like Marilyn Manson who right. know, have made Satanism a part of their image, which and then, of course, in Manson's case, he's clearly an atheist. Um, yeah. But if you've ever seen the guy and seen um, interviews with him, he's just a dude. It's just, you know. Yeah, and well, King Diamond's the same way. Like, yeah. In fact, uh, I thought he would he wouldn't be interviewing outside the makeup, but he does. He does. Um, he, uh, Unlike well, uh, who's who's the guy? Sometimes he's in makeup, and sometimes he's not. It just depends, like, on the situation, I guess. Who's the one from the Misfits? Um, well, there's a bunch of guys from the Misfits, but Danzig. Yeah, but who's the Danzig? Glenn Danzig. Yeah. He never he he doesn't do uh, um, out of character. Yeah, I mean, he's very much, yeah, like, you don't see Danzig just, like, hanging around in the, like, if you ran into him at a bar or something, he's, he's Glenn Danzig in the interview. Yeah. And Glenn yeah, Danzig is, like, a special dude, like, you know. Very special. It's, it's very much a performance thing. And so, um, I just thought it was funny, because, you know, everybody talks about the, the, the corporation with a K, and the fact that they sued over somebody else using similar kabuki makeup. Yeah. And and it's like really, guys. That that's the that's the biggest threat. Is like, oh my gosh, there's this other guy. This, but and they they had taken the makeup off at that point. Yeah, which is why um, I'm like, I'm just like, what? <laughs> yeah, this, this doesn't make any sense. And I was watching. The reason this came up is because I was watching a documentary about him and King, or you know, and the King Diamond thing. And then that that was like a, a footnote in there, and they were like making a big deal out of it. I'm kind of like, I don't know, guys. Like this doesn't seem like it's all that relevant, but no. it, it signaled when when King Diamond actually changed his look, um, and continued to change his look throughout his career because he realized that, um, he was playing characters on stage, and so it was right. like it was more important that he be the part or or that he give people a new thing to look at every time they go to see him. So, yeah, um, I I was never you know so I did I did a couple of gigs and literally maybe. In my entire life, five gigs in makeup that other than than my own, uh, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show was a different thing altogether. That was a different one where I was in full kiss makeup. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and I can tell you right now, I it's played glamorous. Like it sucks. It sucks so yeah. bad. I would not want to be there, but I would not want to do it. Right. You had, I mean, and I think there's probably tricks of the trade. Like if you're doing it every single night, there's probably little things you learn about, like, don't do this to your eyes, et cetera. Right. Um, <clears throat> I can't imagine how, how hard that is on, on their face and on their oh, skin yeah. and stuff. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, no thanks. Yeah. I don't think anybody wants to deal with that. No. So, um, so I've lost all interest in gear, Jim. Um, I, I not to be alarmed. I mean, there's still things that are purposeful that I wouldn't mind having, but um, I'm I literally okay. So, my wife bought a gaming computer, and uh, nice. It was it. She she's <coughs> traveling all that stuff, but mostly so that I can work more on my music while she's able to do that. Um, and we're, right. and we're checking off some lists on things in the house. Um, I'm gonna start flooring my living room soon, um, which means my studio is not far behind. Um, and, uh, we're getting some bills sewed up. And so we're also 
like we're doing some stuff I need to do around the house, like exhausting right. the bathroom and um, new dishwasher since I've been without a dishwasher since my other one caught fire two years ago. Um, Yikes. Um, so it's <laughs> things are coming together, right? But but I'm like, oh, Gear Fest is coming up. And like, I haven't really. So, like, I've been staying true to what I said last year, which is like, I'm not going into Gear Fest with the intention of buying anything. Like, there's no real reason for me to go, go down there and drop another, you know, over a thousand dollars really on anything. Um, but as we approach, I'm like, you know, it's after Father's Day. I didn't really do Christmas this year. Like, um, I'm, I, I'll, I'll look at Sweetwater's website and I'll see if there's anything I want. I spent probably two set, two sets of 15 minutes looking at guitars and I have no idea what I'd even buy. I mean, <laughs> I was like, I was like, well, you know, I had an SG, like I liked it, but I don't know that I necessarily want to have another SG. And I'd kind of like to have something with a flat headstock, you know. And then I was like, oh, you know, wouldn't it be cool to have a semi-hollow? I've never owned a semi-hollow. So I looked at the PRSCE semi-hollow, which is which is an interesting guitar. Like I admittedly, I if if I saw one for the right price. And it felt right to me, and the and the situation was right. Like I, I might buy one, um, but I'm looking more at, you know, like if I did buy another guitar this year, like what would I buy? And is it something I can get at Gear Fest because I can get a stupid deal on it? Um, and I just couldn't find anything. Like I looked at 335s, I looked at the CE, um, Semi Hollow. I looked at seven strings. I literally turned my nose up at every single seven string that a major manufacturer is putting out because they are all geared towards like hyper metal. And I really don't, I mean, like, yeah, I get it. Like metal uses a lot of down tuning and stuff and seven strings fit really well in that community. But I mean, there's other guys that use metal or that use guitars with seven strings. I mean, there's jazz dudes that use them all the time. And the way I'm looking at it is like, well, I'm kind of in the jazz fusion house and the way I use it is not really the same as like, you know, a metal guy is going to use it. Um, I'm not right. really writing the B very much. Like, I might only use the B two or th the B string like two or three times in the song, like in a couple riffs here and there, but it's not really like, it's not the focus of what I'm doing. And I didn't get uh, a seven string just so I could have like a low B to grind on. Um, which it's fun, admittedly, like when I'm just noodling around in the house, like I'll make little, you know, metal-esque riffs to just kind of like work on my picking and stuff. But, um, I just, I, Jim, you work at a music store now. Like I'm just, I have paralysis. There's just nothing that, that like calls out to me. It's like, you should buy this. I'll probably go to Gear Fest and I'll probably come home with a Yamaha Red Star or something like something ridiculous and cheap. And just be like, here, here's my guitar for the year. Um, but I, I actually kind of like the Rev Stars. Um, I, you did, you did post that that um, stupid deal. Well, it's not a stupid deal. It's just the price drop. Um, right. They took the Les Paul double cut. Was it Les Paul special double cut with the yep. '90s? And they dropped yep. it from like nine ninety nine down to six ninety nine. Or no, it's yeah. five. It's five ninety nine. Six hundred bucks. I'll give people an inside look at this real quick, and I will say, I, I can't say why I know this, uh, but I will tell you that if you don't get one, if you're, matter of fact, by the time this airs, 
you don't have one, probably not going to get one at that price. At a, yeah, because they're blowing a them major out. Major because not be, not just because they're blowing them out. The um, there is another reason that as of I think the 18th or the 19th, you won't. It's very highly unlikely that a store or a retail uh, place will have one. Yeah, I'm very highly. I and I can't tell you why. I can just tell you that. Yeah, there's something coming. Obviously, like whenever yeah. they phase out a product, it's pretty obvious. But in this case, like I remember when that guitar came out, and I think we talked about it on the show because it was during the, the time the show's been around, and yeah. um, some of the other shows were covering it. Like, oh look, Gibson's doing a, looking at a modders platform, you know, a nine ninety nine yeah. guitar with a yeah. pick guard where you could mount your own pickups in there. Which, which this is like this is not like a secret thing like people know that when you do that that's kind of what you're going for um right but personally i don't think it was that great a modders platform because it started at 9.99 people who mod guitars they want to buy cheap ones that's and not yeah something. that's not right that's a modders prices but you drop that price to 6.99 and that becomes real attractive for modders yep and right now you can get the you can get the single pickup which by the way if you pull the Pick art off. It's it's routed for two, but um, that's my understanding. Oh, they we have, didn't take one apart. Well, the double cut. The double cut I was looking at today for like I think it's five ninety nine or six ninety nine. Was five ninety nine? Was it dual pickup P ninety? Yep. So they got one for five ninety nine with dual pickup, or you can pay five forty nine right now. Get the single pickup version, and you can get the um, and that saves you another fifty bucks. Is how you say. Now Jim can't tell me what the what the what what's going on. No, he knows why, but yeah. I can't tell you guys. Yeah, well, yeah, Jim can't tell you what's going on. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I didn't even ask, but I'm assuming oh. that there's going to be, and this is without Jim's knowledge at all. I'm assuming they're coming out with a melody maker or something that's gonna that's gonna fit in that, in that <clears throat> place in the product line. Um, exactly. Which a melody maker would be awesome. Um, I would love to see those come back. And I know that it's like a student level guitar, but it's, they're so stripped down. Um, and actually I would like to see them do, you know, the juniors, like an Les Paul junior and a, uh, uh, SG junior, with just one pickup, one P90, you know, they've done that before in the history of the company. And those are really killer guitars. that a lot of people really like, um, Oh Yeah. Very well liked, very well respected guitars. I don't know that I would necessarily want a single pickup, but I know a lot of people do. Um, yeah. So, um, I mean, that's that's another, like, I kind of miss the fact that I don't have a Gibson anymore. Um, just because mm -hmm. from the sheer fact that, like, Gibsons are, I, they're a thing. Like, they're a status yeah, thing. It's not just a status thing, but, like, there, there's a particular sound associated with Gibsons, and I think it's a DNA that runs through all of their instruments, regardless of the pickup configuration and the body type. Like you know that a 335 is going to have some of that creamy mid-range thing that you're also going to get out of a Les Paul with the the screaming top end out of a Les Paul, and you're also going to get that similar sound out of an SG, except it's going to be slightly thinner, and you're going to get a similar sound out of you know whatever other P90 equipped guitar you buy from them, makes them you know make more P95. Um, right, but I but I think the fact that they're using maple or they're make uh, mahogany bodies and you know mahog mahogany necks with rosewood yep, caps. Yeah, yep. I mean, those are those are similar characteristics that you can find across the line. And I think, um, I think those guitars they do have a special vibe, right? Um, I can't imagine that being my primary guitar, but 
I wouldn't mind having one laying around. And actually, I'd like to have an older one. Um, but Chet, Jim's pointing at his SG. And that was Paul. And I'm just shaking my head because <laughs> I'm like... I took the pin guard off it, but I don't know if I'm going to leave it off. Yeah. But the reason I took the pin guard off... And maybe a listener knows a, a fix for this. So you under, don't want when you age. Yeah. It'll age differently. But a lot of people um, actually like that. So Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I want to put the pick guard back on, but the problem that I've got is that when it comes to where the pick guard sits, you've got that little screw that adjusts the I don't even know why that is, but adjusts the little thing. You know yeah, the sleeve. Yeah, that sleeve goes up and down. Well, that hits the wood. The bottom of it hits the wood. And it leaves a little dent in the finish. Um in the nitro. And it's I don't know. Um I kind of don't want that, but then if I leave the pick guard off, but I pick I may or may not have pick scratches. I don't really dig that hard, so I might not. Um, um so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, so Jim, you work in a music store, and what I was gonna start, what I was gonna ask is like, what would you recommend me given my situation and like what the holes I have in my lineup and stuff? Like, what were the things you would think? Well, well if you're looking for something for, different, you know, yeah, for something different, you don't have anything that's hollow or semi hollow. Yeah. So um, I would consider. Uh, we talked earlier. I would consider the CE um, semi, which I think I, would I think it's right up my alley. And even yep. the, the single cut. I would consider, is it, what is Lucille? Lucille's a 339, right? Yeah. Out of 335? Well, I know I know Gibson has, they have a 335 and then they have another 330 series guitar. Yeah, I think it's 339 that's Lucille. Well, no, I think, that, yeah, but I think they have another one that's like, that's, that's out and it's actually relatively inexpensive. Yeah. It's like 1700 or something. Which for Gibson, that's inexpensive, folks. I mean... Unfortunately, this is what it is. Um, <clears throat> the let's say, oh yeah, this is a three forty-five. That's right. I think it's the three thirty-nine. Let me see. Three thirty-nine. That's the one I was thinking. Fit you. There you. Yeah, that's the one. It's fifteen hundred. It's sixteen hundred bucks. Um, so it's relatively inexpensive. Yeah, um, that's something I could try. I'm just like I'm kind of. And angry. then there's the there's the um oh what's it called? Not Milwaukee, not Nashville. It's there's um it's got a name. Which a by, city? By the way, I was just I was just knocking Gibson because like they don't have like a melody maker or whatever. They do have juniors, but the juniors they do have are like they're higher priced than they should be. I mean, those are student level guitars. They should be priced student level. Um, but I don't, I mean, I don't see them getting into SD territory price wise, but. I think that's what they're going to try to do. Yeah, I think that's what they're going to try to do. Kind of like the SE. I think that's the way that the um, the, the Epiphone line is going to wind up going. It has to. Well, I see that um, Sweetwater has some, um, these uh, Gibbs Les Paul Special Tribute P90, you know, satin finished guitars that are nine ninety nine. Um, I still think the double yeah. cut's a better looking guitar than a single cut flat top, but that's me. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. 
Um, I was just looking at. Yeah, the three three nine is the one you're talking about, and I think that those are cheaper because they're satin. Yep. Um, which you know, I, that's not a big deal for me. Um, yeah. And and frankly, um, I'd have to play one. I don't like that they're dots. That was the first thing that called out to me. Heritage has some relatively inexpensive prices on their 335 lineup. I mean, they're 27, I think, but that's cheaper than if you're going to buy a Gibson, you know, true 335. Yeah. Um, I'm only being um, a little leery of Heritage right now because I don't know what the future of the company is. Oh, I'm not. The future of the company doesn't matter. That's that's irrelevant. You're buying a Heritage. Um, the But irrelevant in the sense that you don't buy a Heritage to increase in value. That's not that you're buying a heritage to play it. Oh no, I'm not I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about overall. They're not that much cheaper. That's a problem is they're not that much No, cheaper. but I've heard the quality level higher. So that's and and I played some and I quite frankly, I played some some pretty bad 335s um that have come out of Gibson shop and I played mm-hmm. some I played some what they would consider mediocre heritage and I think that the mediocre heritages are on par with the like the better Gibson 335s I've seen. So yeah. um I don't I've never really played a heritage that I was like, wow, you know, that's the most incredible guitar I've ever touched. But um yeah. I wouldn't say they're bad. Like I think I think for the money they're a pretty good value. And you don't have to yeah. pay the the what I like to call the Gibson tax. So that's you know they're almost as the same price as they might even be slightly more expensive than a regular 335 after discounts and all that. But yeah. what I will say is that when you buy um when you buy a heritage, you know you're getting, you know, there's more hands-on involvement. Now the company's changing, so a new heritage might be a little bit sketchy in that department. Um they're starting to go more more numerically controlled and whatever. But still, I mean I would rather buy a Heritage Les Paul for sure than, you know, your typical standard today. And they're only 2500 Um, They got some beautiful examples on uh, Sweetwater site right now. But um, I think the pickups are better in the Heritage um, in the, their Les Pauls. I don't think their P90s are quite as good, but that's that's my personal opinion. It just depends on what you're going for. I mean, um and we've known there's been a lot of heritage controversy. We've covered a lot of it on the show. So, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, <clears throat> I think I'm going to spend that kind of money. I'm probably going to just drop it on it. Um, on an actual three. Yeah. I mean, it, at that point, you got to be like very into the, the heritage vibe to make it work. Yeah. Like mentally. Although I mentally. think, I think, on the, I think on the used market, they're a little easier to get your hands on. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like you can get a huge her, used heritage for, far less than you're going to pay for a Gibson for yeah. sure without even, actually, really without even looking. I mean, maybe if not, not sure, let's just be like, I looked and you were wrong. Um, yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> you're um, wrong, mister. But based on what I know of, of heritage, I think the, the, um, the resale value is a little bit lower. Yeah. I think that, uh, because of that, yeah, that you'll get a better deal on the used market. And I think that's really the way. Yeah, Heritage five thirty five. There's three available seventeen ninety five. They still, pretty... you know, and the the real problem I have with buying like a three thirty five is that the uh, the strap pin is behind the behind the neck. I hate that. 
And I know why it is on a 335 because that upper, you know, that upper wing is obviously empty. Yep. But um, I just, it just doesn't sit well with me. So I don't know that that may be a deal breaker right there. Depends. It would have to be like the part, it would have to be the perfect instrument regardless. It would have to be something that really calls out to me because, yep, it, because in general, um, I'm not really looking at production guitars the same way I used to. Like I might play three of the same production guitar and pick the best of the three now because I just, I'm to the point where it's got to be special. It's got to do something because I've got, I've got good guitars. Like I don't need mediocre guitars. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, they're still doing very, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Birdland uh, guitar, which I didn't know anybody was doing. Which is the five seventy five, which I thought was interesting. Um, yeah, there, there's decent stuff out there. There, I think you're able to find something cool. the The cool thing is that they also make a, a Les Paul. It's like a um, like Gibson has done a few times, and that's a semi hollow Les Paul. Which I think is, well, they don't call it Les Paul; they call it something else. Well, I might look into Gretsch too, and that's that's another. Yep. Now, Gretsch, if I was going to look at Gretsch, honestly, I mean, so I played the overseas versions and I played the versions in the States. And I think if I was going to do get something for home use that was just going to hang around on, I'd probably just get an overseas one. Yeah, because I don't um, think the imports are that bad. Like a lot no. of a lot of people in the beginning when the imports started showing up and like they got kind of a, a rough um, assessment, I think, by a lot of the guitar press. That, yeah. you know, the imports were not good and whatever. And I, I honestly think like now that they've kind of settled in and, and that they've been producing them for quite a while, I think the quality level's gone way up. And uh, yeah. I could definitely see like a Gretsch being an interesting guitar. Note. I don't think I want any Gretsch that has like a, a vibrato, though, because I do not like the um, the Bigsby. That doesn't do anything for me. And, you know, that would be the one reason I would get a Gretsch. But I could see myself getting like a Streamliner. Um, or yeah. something like that. Like it just depends. And of course, the Yamaha Revstar. I don't know if Yamaha does any like sort of semi-hollow Revstar. I know they got a couple of guitars in that line. Um, I don't know. There's some options. I'm gonna talk to some Do people they? that know more about like those stuggers. I'm not really that to be. And I'm gonna admit this. I'm a I'm a guitar podcast host, and I don't know much about Gretsch. I really don't. I'm okay, so I know enough about Gretsch to know the history and all that other stuff. But I'll tell you right now, um, I don't know about the current lineup. Like, if I was to buy an overseas Gretsch, I would want to make sure that I was looking at something um, that was country gentleman esque. Yeah, um, so you're looking for like a big hollow, you know? Yeah, big, big hollow body. Uh, but I don't know the the number scheme for the overseas guitars is so weird. I could see myself doing like a, a duo jet too, and I've always been I've always been interested in the duo jet. Um, yeah, and actually, I think it partially comes back to David Gilmore having used one some records, and um, I should probably I should probably take some time out and actually go explore just like even the regular jet. Um, yeah, because I just. I don't know. I just never, I've never like, it's, it's the, the brand's pretty esoteric. And I think that has a lot to do with it, that they're like more vintage than what I want to go for. Um, which is why I've never really explored them. But I feel like, 
I feel like Gretsch has some unique pickup designs there. And um, I know that like even people there was a guitar player in great white is using uh, Gretsch's now or something like there's yeah. there's some vibe there that that people like. And I really need to explore that because I'm not really familiar with it. So, well, I was always, you know, <clears throat> my favorite guitar player that played a Gretsch other than Malcolm Young uh, is Brian Setzer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm a big Brian Setzer fan too, but I, his guitar sound is like totally the opposite end of where I want to go. Um, yeah. But I do, I do, I really like you appreciate every, what he yeah, does. Oh, no, I, I like yeah. his music too. Um, I've been a big fan of even the straight cat stuff. Um, yep. and I really feel like, um, it's good in its own right. If I was trying to go after that kind of music, then maybe I'd go down that path. But, um, yep. I'm more, I like, I don't know. I just, I want something that's sort of modern, but not modern. Like, I don't want to get into like the current stuff where, I mean, I got a geezel already. You don't, you'll get more modern than that. Really? Nope. Um, it's distilled modern, but it's modern. Um, I will. I do want to look at um, who's the. I'm trying to think of their name. Um, they they picked them up just recently. Sweetwater's got them, and that's one thing I want to try at Gear Fest. Is, um, and I'm trying to think of what the name of the company is. Oh, oh it's a guitar company. Not yeah, it's not Strandberg. It's um, they had them last year. They just barely got them in when we were there at Gear Fest. And they were around, but I didn't get the chance to stop and play any of them. Um, I'm looking through the list of brands that they are openly promoting. Um, man, I'm having a moment and I really don't like it because I was just looking <laughs> at them. Yeah, I think what I'm looking at when it comes to a Gretsch, if I if I was to get an overseas Gretsch, it would definitely be in that uh, G, I think it's G fifty four twenty. I think. Hey, um, did you did you hear about uh, Gibson like finally being honest about bringing back uh, Kramer? That no, that they're like yeah. So apparently they they uh, the CEO I forget what his name is. He says that uh -huh. they're going to bring back the Kramer line, and because they feel that there's a, a missing hole in the lineup for that particular area of the market. Um, wow, really. Yeah, so they're gonna. <laughs> yeah, it's like, duh. That's a geez. duh. That's exactly. Right. <laughs> we, we've been, Hello. We've been. I mean, we. we you know, what we need to do. We need to start writing them and consulting for them because it's pretty clear at this point that like, the things we've been saying are what they're doing. So, so they have like some sort of alignment with us. But it would have been yeah. nice, you know, if they'd have asked us. I mean, Gibson should have asked us permission before they did that. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> we've been suggesting it for months and. Uh, yeah. It just seems yeah. it just seems odd that they're taking ideas out of our playbook and not compensating them for us, uh, compensating us for it. Yeah, um, I'm still looking for that guitar brand. It's driving me nuts. I just saw one of their guitars in the list here, and I'm like, so there's yeah, so there's really only one piece of gear that I've been kind of thinking about, and I told you about it the other day, and I'm, you know, is the Tone Master. So I've been thinking about getting a Tone Master amp, and I think the only reason that I'm going to go on, I may may I'm not. 100%. Comparison. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, we talked about the comparison. When and we did and the, I uh, didn't find him on the site either. It just popped into my head. So I feel Yeah, we talked about them on that. that uh, yeah, that's where we talked about the distillation of metal guitars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, I was thinking about getting a Tone Master. Um, the, the yeah, the twin. The twin. 
Because because you're you know a glutton for punishment. I am a glutton for punishment because I want to get yeah. You are absolutely correct. <laughs> no, it's true. David's right. Look. He's gonna buy the seven string or the no the seven string. I'm looking at seven. He's gonna buy the twin, and then uh, yeah. he's gonna he's gonna like not take it out, and it's gonna sit in his closet and collect dust until he decides to sell it. And then at that point, the rug's gonna be out from under him, and he's gonna make you know just a little bit over his guitar center discount. Yeah, if I if I don't go right at it, <laughs> yeah, because because I so Jim pointed this out to me, and I, and I didn't realize it, but they're going for new prices used. Yeah, they're they're practically there are exactly two, one of each on Guitar Center's site new, and they're literally. Just a few bucks off. It's it's yeah. ridiculous, right? Fender's grossly underestimating the demand for these, and you know, I I was I still think I still think they're overpriced a little bit, but I was scratching my head trying to figure out what the demand for these guitars actually is, and I and I think I finally figured it out that these guitars, the um, or not the guitars, the the Tone Master series of amps. The reason why you, they can't seem to keep them on in stock on store shelves is because they're um, the uh, praise and worship community is buying them. I mean, if you think about it, uh, and I'm not just saying that that's like the only reason these would sell, but like where were you? Where else are you going to find a venue where you can use a twin? Um, you know, a, a, you know, a two thousand person church could use yeah. a twin. Yeah. Um, but I don't really. <laughs> You know, like we have, we have one of those. We have out right by here. Um, we have few, and I could definitely see somebody coming in with like a half stack there and getting away with it, but not. I can't imagine like this being the the, you know, the everybody who plays the bar amp. Um, but I I don't know. I I grew up in or well, I grew up around a small community in um in mid state Indiana, and anytime they hired a band in the family. Like the and and there was like a band that we that the family was close with and they got hired for all the events, but they always had like different players and stuff and so it was always kind of funny to me. You'd go and they would have a twin, and it would be like it would be on like one point three, <laughs> even though it was a different guitar player. Like everybody down there has twins, um, and it would be you know super low volume. Um, the EQ would be like all funky and like they would you know. But have, the beauty. The beauty of these, and I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, and I'm not going to say it's going to be exact. I'm not going to give any of that. The beauty of these is you can crank the heck out of it, drop the drop the quote unquote wattage, um, and use it this one in a reasonable um, volume. Does it, in does it have a, a lot of different? Does it have a wattage switch on it? The yeah, the one by twelve goes down to a half a watt. And the, Which just basically means they're reconfiguring the D-class power amp. That's correct. The, that that's all they're doing. So the, what they've done is so. <clears throat> let me let me see if I can remember the settings. Because um, so so for while you're while you're going through the gym. So for our audience, like when you buy a solid state amp, any sort of solid state amp, whether it be um, it doesn't matter what class it is, right? Um, yeah. When you have a wattage switch on a solid state amp, all they're doing is cutting the output. They're not actually doing like what you would have in a tube amp where it would going it where you would actually like, change the wattage. Yeah, you'd right. be using like three pins instead of five or right. um or you're, you're limiting removing the holes. 
from or you re- eliminate a power tube or right. you know so on and so forth. So, so for the um for the large one, the two by twelve, that's the twin. It's the only way I can remember it. Is that it's got eighty five watt. Now this is where it's emulating the wattage that the twin would do if it was at this wattage, by the way. Um, 85 watts, 40 watts, 22 watts, 12 watts, 5 watts, and 1 watt. The 1 by 12, the uh, Fender um, Tone Master Deluxe Reverb goes 22 watts, 12 watts, 5 watts, 1 watt, a half a watt, and yes, 0.2 watts, which I think is ridiculous. But I I think when you're going to push a 12-inch speaker, with the equivalent of what you would get from a half or 0.2 watts, it is even in the store all the way up. It is ridiculously soft. Um, but I guess it's near. I think it's kind of overkill though, because if I can if I can remember right, I do really have a DI out. I'm trying to see if you got a headphone now. No, nope, there's no headphone now. You do have a foot switch, um, which is the standard foot switch that comes with. You know the deluxe and so on and so forth, um, but yeah, there's no headphone out, which I think there was a missed, a missed opportunity, or maybe it's on purpose. Um, but I got I got to be honest. So when I when I thought about it and I said, well, you know what, I might want one of these, I went back and I watched Anderton's video again, and I listened to it. And in Anderton's video, they don't tell you until like three quarters of the way through which one is better. Yeah. And I kept thinking, I kept saying to myself, oh yeah. That's the that's the real one. That's the real one. That's the real one. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I had it wrong. When Honore was playing, the one I liked better was actually the one that was the digital, and the one that I I thought was a little dull was his actual tube version. Yeah, but so did they mic that? Did they mic their clips? They mic'd them, and then they did. They only did uh, a couple of clips. At the end, where they used the DI, but that was after they told you which one was which. Yeah, so I don't remember which video I was watching. I think I mentioned it to you, Jim, but but I watched a video while we were talking about it, and I picked it out. And for the first time in a really long time, I was right. And I was like, <clears throat> yep. "Yeah, I'm not, I, but I would. I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like they that the that the uh, Tone Master didn't sound stellar. I yeah, mean, yeah. I just could tell the difference, and it was. And I really think it came down to how it was mic'd up. Um. And I think maybe they were using an IR or something. I I, I you know that that I, I have heard. Out. Yeah. Now, Anderton's did their DI one, and it didn't sound terrible. Um, didn't sound bad. I preferred it mic'd. I think I think I could probably say that to just about any of them where you can't put your own DI in there. Right. Um, and that's a missed opportunity too. Not having their own DI, they do have a standby switch. What the cool thing is about the standby switch is. You can hit the standby switch on, and so your volume is all the way off on stage, and yet you can have your DI going out, and that doesn't get affected. So all the other jingling, jangly stuff, the wattage, everything, that doesn't affect the um, DI, and muting it doesn't affect the DI, which is kind of cool. Um, I'm, I'm, I didn't want to be into it. You know, when we first heard about these things, it was like, and I, well, and they still, and like, even now you're looking at one, like they still kind of don't make sense to you. Yeah. The only downside of it is you have one amp. It's still one amp. 
And, it, and for $900 just seems like a lot of money for one amplifier. For a digital one sure, sure. amplifier. But also, it, it sounds incredible. I don't know. I don't know. So we'll we'll see. I'm not I'm not pulling the trigger anytime soon. I'm just thinking about it. Um I don't know. I, I I'm not so but the tone masters I think are a great concept. This idea that you're gonna take an amp and you're gonna weight relieve it by, you know, just using a bunch of DSP power to to emulate like one channel of an amp and its effects inside. But um, I think part of the strength of amp modeling is actually when it goes beyond what you can achieve with regular like tubes and stuff. Um, I haven't got the chance to do it. I wanted to do it this weekend and I just didn't get the chance to get over there. Um, I want to go check out the 10 inch version of the Mark 525. Yeah. Now, so this is why I want to check it out because for people who are still in the conventional amplification, like actually having an amplifier and it's looking like a Kemper or a Helix, um, I want to check out and I want to see if you can take something like a Mark 525, which weighs, I think, 20 pounds. I mean, it's a, 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 with with the with the 10 inch speaker. It is a tiny, tiny cab, but it sounds pretty damn good. I mean, I, I listened to the clips from Mesa. Normally, I'm not a fan of Mesa's clips, but I have to say there's there's for that amp sounded freaking great. And I think they realized they had to get it right. So they made a big deal out of making sure they got it right. Um, I, I So I don't want to make this a gear-centric episode, but um, I think we have some more gear topics to talk about because a couple of things have come up in the group that I think they're worth worth mentioning. So we covered the um, the Mesa Boogie IR loader. Um, various people in the group are, are Mesa Boogie fans. I'm a Mesa Boogie fan. Um, and this product came out, and uh, there was a little bit of fanfare behind it because I think – it was them sort of admitting that the cab clone uh, analog was kind of a failure. And um, they'll never say it was a failure, but excuse me, I have to yawn. Um, <laughs> it's, I'm, just, I'm just tired, folks. It's, it's uh, 9.30 on a Sunday. Um, and I, I feel like um, we would be remiss if we don't revisit this under the um, – the auspices of several people have now taken theirs apart and uh, inside they discovered that the IR chip is actually a two notes IR chip. Um, <laughs> and it, that was funny. Yeah. It came out of Glenn Pricker's channel. Didn't well, it? no, the other people have looked it up too. And actually I think, uh, I think um, Robert from Robert's guitar dungeon actually knew about it before, before Glenn Pricker did this video. Um, and I, it's, I'm sure Glenn did that because he'd already read about it in a forum somewhere, you know, um, yeah. and, and I'm not going to poo poo the, um, the, uh, torpedo stuff. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm not, so like the thing I don't like about torpedo is they tend to be like a walled garden. They want you to use their IRs, their, their yep. boxed IRs with their products. And that's, you know, to each their own, like if you want to get into a walled garden thing, like that's, that's your, your yeah. deal. And lots of people do it today. I mean, people buy Apple products all the time. Um, I, I bought Apple products. We, I was um, going to say, we are included in that. Group. Yeah. So, um, if you can live with that, then it's, then they're, they're great. I mean, uh, it's just interesting that, that they're using this, but it's their own load, right? Like they're not using, um, torpedoes load, which was, which is the big thing we were talking about in the, um, 
in that discussion was that Mesa Boogie's proprietary load circuitry is supposed to be a reactive load that sounds pretty good um, and feels good. And that's a big, the biggest thing is like it has to feel right. Um, and the torpedo equivalent, I think they just got a reactive load um, at, at NAM. They just changed there. And I wonder if they're using Mesa Boogie's engineering to design their, their reactive load. Now, the interesting thing about it is um, the, and he's, as Glenn pointed out in this video, the, the IR loader from Mesa Boogie is significantly more expensive, but you have to understand you're not getting the same thing. If you're going to use it as a load box, yes, but it's not just the load box. It can also attenuate your signal. Right. And that, that variable attenuation adds complexity to the circuit and it's going to cost a little bit more money. In the case of yep. Mesa Boogie, it's you know significantly more money, two hundred dollars, I think, more. Um, yep. But uh, I think you're you're still okay to go with either one. I think I think both products are probably great. Um, Torpedo has a great track record of doing this stuff, and they're kind of the leader in the field. Um, and it's interesting that like people, I've, there have been some reactions on forums, and like Glenn Fricker's reaction was what it was because I wasn't really all that shocked because they've done work with Two Notes. Two Notes did a set of cabinet emulations for them that you could purchase, um, and and Boogie worked with them to make that happen. In fact, I think they actually used their studio to to create the impulses. So I'm not, I mean, th this is not a shock to me. This is this is okay. Um, and and actually, I think even, um, I think even other manufacturers who are doing these sorts of boxes now are probably doing similar things. They're buying an IR loader off the shelf from um, you know somebody who's already doing it, and it may be that Line Six may be selling their design on the side, um, and you know their IRs, their IR loader system or whatever, and and that happens. I mean, um. I, I know I've talked about the show before and I don't have all the specifics, but I know that PV, when they did the Viper series of amps, they had no digital expertise whatsoever. So they went, they went door to door to other um, well-known digital manufacturing outfits in the industry. And they end up finding one, which I've heard is line six to develop that amplifier for them. Um, I've heard it's line six. I've also heard that it was um, Strymon. So I don't know which which it was that actually put together the legwork or at least introduced them to the, you know, did some consulting for them and basically showed them how to do it themselves. Um, but like basically gave them a technology toolkit and framework to build from. Um, so that's, you know, that's a whole other like conversation. But this when you're dealing with technology, especially in an industry that's so focused on analog, um, you're going to have a little bit of that shoulder rubbing going on. You're going to see products that have multiple names in it. My biggest surprise here is that Mesa Boogie didn't, didn't say powered by, um, because, because I think that would have been a, I think that would have been a sales pitch for them. Um, yeah. Powered by two notes. Yeah. Powered by two notes. Yeah. But it's, a it's interesting. Yeah. They didn't do that. Um, well, it makes you wonder if like they figured that if, if, you're a if you're a diehard Mesa Boogie guy and you see uh, the Mesa Boogie badge and then you see this powered by two notes thing and you know who two notes is you're not gonna buy it because you're gonna be like I don't want two notes I only want I only want analog gear and and I've run into those folks before um, who are like diehard it's gotta be tube gotta be all analog um, 
you know, and they're literally running guitar to cable because it just, you know, it's like, no, it's got to be pure. Um, I think those people don't know what they're missing. I mean, to be honest with you, I think there's a lot of great stuff that does not involve tubes. So, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I agree with you. I just don't want to limit myself. You know, it's like, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that does and doesn't. I couldn't do so, like with my Kemper, the things that I do that I can't do in the analog realm, like it, they're limitless. I mean, um, yeah, you can do them in the analog realm now, but mm -hmm. there are compromises you have to make to make that happen. So right. I can't have a tap tempo delay and um, Univibe and reverb pre-delay uh, that all comes on with one switch unless I have like a complicated fancy switching system and a lot of mini programming going on. But in the Kemper, you can do it and it's like, it takes two seconds. Um, and those are the kinds of things I'm like, well, yeah, it's possible. So like I, I tell my boss all the time, yeah, it's possible, but should we, you know, I mean like, and, and that comes down to, you know, when you go into a meeting with a bunch of people and you're like, they're asking for something that you really shouldn't do. And, um, I'm the guy that sits in the corner and says, no, I'm just going to lie to them. And it's not that I'm really lying to them. It's just that, look, what you're asking for is such a steep demand that it's really not a realistic opportunity for us to be able to do that. Because right. I mean, it's my job is to consult for people and tell them, you know, what, and I say consult because I used to be a consultant, but to tell them what's feasible and what's not. Um, that's how you end up, you know, digging through, uh, 4,000 emails and looking for the needle in the haystack because <laughs> you forget to do something like that. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's one thing, right? So that happened. And then Fractal Audio is shipping the FM3, which is their, their new uh, replacement for the X8 floor modeler. And yep. that's a big deal, except, is. except there was a bit of a problem. So okay. uh, and 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna cast my light on this. So this is this does not reflect the views of the Practical Guitarist podcast. And the whole it reflects it's my views in their entirety. But is the they came out and they said that they're going to be shipping, and then they said, "Oh yeah," and the first run doesn't have headphone jacks, meaning there's they left it out. What? Yeah. So they're giving people like I guess they got some that do. And some that don't, and if you buy, oh, and you buy the some that don't, you get you get fifty dollars off. I pay the extra fifty. Well, I know, but I'm like, is that really enough concession? And and quite frankly, um, you're the dumbasses that that put in an order with a Chinese company to build your product for you and forgot to tell them that oh yeah, that little circle up in the corner is a headphone jack, because you know that's what happened here. This is not this is not a planned design. This is idiocy. And yep. and then because they've got this whole like basically boat full of these things sitting there, they're going, we gotta no, we gotta sell these. We can't ship them back because if we do, we're gonna have to explain to everybody that like the warehouse we had sitting here was there weren't enough. So now we're gonna pretend like this was a you know, either they're not really framing it as not a manufacturing mess up. But it's clearly what it is. Um, and I just think, um, personally, if the product's not what you wanted it to be, find somebody in the States that can add the, because I'm sure the boards are probably 
they probably got the hookup for it. Find somebody in the States to drill the chassis and put the headphone jack on there. I'm sorry, but that's ridiculous. If I got on that waiting list and and you told me, oh, yeah, uh, I'm going to ship yours to you, but it's going to be $50 less and you get no headphone jack. I would I would literally send you a picture of my hand with the middle finger. That's that's ridiculous. <laughs> that doesn't make any exactly. sense. That that's no. Like, and and it's just as bad as what Kemper did when they when they shipped the the um stage and they had a problem where the the chassis was like um weak in one point and so it was causing bad switches. Um and now they're you know they're replacing them. But it's like you you guys didn't test it well enough. Before you before you sold it. In this case, it's not even they didn't test it well enough. You literally had a manufacturer's defect, and you're going to try to pass that run off to customers as like, oh, that was planned. That's ridiculous. No, it wasn't. And you know it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, why would you yeah. ever? De- why would you ever build a product like that without a headphone jack? I mean, that mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. You just decide yep. you're going to save five bucks by not putting the jack on there. Exactly. And and the funny thing is the cut and dry nature of the okay, so we're gonna take the headphone jack off. So that's fifty it's be fifty dollars with labor to install a headphone jack. So we'll just give them fifty dollars off. What? No, exactly. it's not just that. You you're not just missing the headphone like the, the port. <laughs> you're missing the functionality. Missing the the right. functionality. The functionality. I said that three times because the functionality is worth more than the sum of its parts. So therefore, if you expect me to buy an FM3 without a headphone jack, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to send you a picture of my middle finger because exactly. you're, you're ridiculous and you're crazy. There's no one in this in this world except for the people that, and I'm sure there's going to be guys that are going to order the $50 off one. Um, who would want that? I mean, here, let me sell you this guitar. It, look at the picture. It's wonderful, right? You order it and then when you get it in and there's the knobs are missing, here you go. Yeah, <laughs> here you go. No, they're not even Ooh. missing. They're like they didn't drill the holes we, for them. You know, like we, you know what I mean. We sold like, you. They're completely missing. We sold you a cabinet. Oh, you wanted speakers? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, the, speakers, to... the speakers are there, but we forgot to put the ports in the back. Where the, where the, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the speakers connect to. We forgot to put the magnets on the speakers. We're so sorry. Yeah, I mean this is nuts. It's, I mean. <laughs> I mean, can you, can you imagine, Jim? What would you say if, if like Fender called you up and they're like, "Yeah, we got we got a tone master here for you for a hundred bucks off, but uh, it it it's missing uh it's missing the input jack." Yeah, like seriously. Oh, now I know I'm making a mountain out of a molehill because it is an it is a headphone jack, and not everybody uses a headphone jack. Which is why they're going to sell them anyway, right? But, but it's and you're going to get discount at fifty dollars, folks. Come on, you're going to get fanboys. Oh man, are you kidding me? It's still better. It's better because of that. I was just going to say, you will literally have people who on the on on the other side of the market who are like, mine was a first run because it has no headphone jack, and those are superior in tone, even though they all run the same software. Yep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. It's unbelievable the kind of the kind of shenanigans that go on in in the guitar community. Oh yeah, it's it's insane. So I was listening to Five Watt World, which I I like Five Watt World. I like Keith Williams a lot. Um, his his channel and uh, 
he was talking about doing minimalistic pedal boards. And as my as mine has grown, it's out of the dark side. Um, okay. Yeah, remember when he bought that pedal tray nano, folks? Yeah. No, it's it's still fine. Um that that's still in function. So anyway, I I, I had a laugh because he was talking about this uh this company, Jetter, G-E-T-T-E-R. Yep. Jetter, Jetter. I know you've heard of it. And don't get me wrong, they're they're they seem to be Good pedals for a reasonable price. Yeah, they're Joyo. Um, yeah, so he had these Jenner pedals uh, that were being distributed, and now you can only get them direct. But he's talking about creating, excuse me, a minimalistic pedal board. Yet he's got two drive, two drive pedals, and I'm like. You don't minimalize by having two drive pedals. Uh, so what else minimize. Is, what, else, what else is on this board? Um, okay, three things. Uh, two drives and an Echoplex. The, the EP1, not the booster, right? The, the actual... The, the, one that's, the one that's called, yeah, Echoplex. The, the well, they, they make the Echoplex. Yeah, it's the delay. Okay, so... All right, let me let me uh, share my thoughts on this. So, depending on what you're doing, right? If you're gonna make a minimalist pedal board and you don't know what amplifier you're gonna be plugging into, I can definitely see doing a true drive board. Um, if it's like a open mic thing, like that, totally makes sense to me. If you're doing a minimalistic pedal board and you know what your amp is gonna be, having two drive pedals seems kind of nuts to me. Um, right. Unless you're a guy that, and in which case, if you're a guy that lives off of pedals you're not going to have a minimalistic pedal board. You know what I mean? Like you're going to have four or five different boxes or five boxes to do what you need them to do. Um, right. So I think that's kind of, kind of funny, but I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I mean, I, it just depends on what you're doing. Said, just if you're seems... running into a clean, loud amp, you're going to want two pedals because you're going to want a light drive and then you're going to want a full on drive. And I would use the light drive after the full on drive because that's, the light drive is there to emulate a you know saturated tube amp, right? Like a mildly right. saturated tube amp. So he was using the uh, GS124. He might have had three. The GS124. Um, and a splatter, which I'm not sure what that's about, but. Anyway, I'm looking at Jetter's or uh, yeah, Jetter's site right now. Yeah, I don't see anywhere to contact. I mean, to buy their stuff. Um, I it's a good question. I think you have to click through the individual pedal, and if it, I did that, and then if the pedal's available, then it's for sale. But I don't. Maybe Jetter's going out of business. I don't know. So the the GS124 I thought was supposed to be their Dumble. ODS. Yes, that's their jet. That's their dumble in a box. Yeah. Um, they also do a train wreck in a box. And I can tell you right now, their train wreck is not going to hold a candle to the ethos. Yeah. I don't, I don't care what, what is going on. So I'm doing that pedal building um, thing in a couple of weeks. That's going to be fun. I think it's next weekend, actually. It's a pedal, yeah, they pedal building class. Mm hmm. 
I just find, I mean, I get it. I get the little bit of drive and a lot of drive. But like you said, it would depend on um, the fact that, okay, I'm plugging into somebody else's amp. I'm not allowed to mess with it. So I can have various levels of, of drive. But. Right. But I don't know. I mean, how many how many levels of drive do you use in an average gig? I mean, I think a perfect gigging amp is really a two-channel amp. Yeah. Um, I know people are like, oh, three channels. You got to have, you know, your, you know, I, I've never been the guy that's like, I need a different distorted rhythm than I need another, than, and a different distorted lead. I can make it, if if it's a good, uh, if it's a good sound, I can make it work for both. And a lot of that has to do with rolling back the volume knob. Yeah. But, um, which that's another thing. Nick was, Nick was talking to us about, um, uh, when we were at GearFest, he was preaching about, you know, running, and I don't want to say preaching because I don't want to give the wrong impression, but he right. was uh, running the volume knob, you know, at like six mm-hmm. and his tone knobs at like six and then setting an amp up so that they sound proper with the knobs at six. Right. And then you could, you could actually use it to vary the settings. And that was something I never thought to actually do because, well, for one thing, um, most of the time, the only knob I ever touch is my volume knob. Yep. Um, but knowing that I can turn the tone knob down and if the amp is doing the right thing, then I can actually use that to get brighter. Um, that was a really like eye opening thing for me. I was like, wait a minute. So you can take a Marshall that's like, you know, thunderously loud and also with a lot of treble and set it. So it sounds good with the, the tone at like, you know, seven. Right. And then if I need to get and cut through, I can throw my tone back. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd watch, you know, I'd watch guys like uh, Gilmore and, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, Angus Young, especially, because he tends to run his amp so hot. Um, and he was constantly, now, of course, um, Gilmore uses all five positions of the Stratocaster switch. Sure. Um, although in a in the single solo, he might use one or two. But... Um, I would see him do that, just what you're talking about. And you could see him during a during a solo, whether, whether you're watching Pulse or, you know, Momentary Lapse of Reason or whatever, the solo or the, the tours. Um, I think Momentary Lapse of Reason was um, a Delicate Sound of Thunder tour. But anyway, um, where you got really good images of him playing. Uh-huh. And one of, the, one of the things you'll notice is he is constantly listening to his tone and changing it throughout the song. Um, sometimes because of the way he attacks, sometimes because of the way he's bending, sometimes because of the position of the fretboard, and sometimes because he wants to, just like you were talking about, let's get a little more high end, a little more low end, and all of those things get added together to do that. You know, I've, so like, I think that comes with, there. so there's a big, a big issue there. That, that I think a lot of players miss, like talking about performance and tone and like knowing what's going on. I think a lot of players in a live environment, they don't really, they're not, for one thing, their monitors are never set up accurately enough for them to get a right. sense of how they sound to, to front of house. I can right. tell you that because I've been on enough stages to know that the monitors do not reflect what's coming out of front of house. They just don't. Yeah, not at least. Um, it's just there for you to hear it. Um, yep. and the other part of this, um, that, that makes it a problem is like when you're a musician, 
and like I'm guilty of this, right? So I'm playing on a playing on a stage with with like an open jam, and there's two other guys on stage with me. Um, it's really difficult for me to play as well as I can, and then also pay attention to how good the drummer is and how good the bass player is. A lot of times, I don't realize it until I watch the video or hear the audio later. I'm like, oh, that's what was going on. Like, yeah. that sounds really good. Now I understand why. But in the moment, you're in the moment, right? And so somebody like David Gilmore, who has the wherewithal to hear his monitors, which are probably accurate, right? And then go, oh, I got to tweak this because this doesn't sound quite right. Or this doesn't sound the way I want it to. Um it's pretty intense. Like it's when you think about it from the perspective of being able to do that from a monitor, I know that when I play and I've got my pedal board, like there are certain things I need to hit for certain things to happen, but they're not like, Oh, I got to roll off a little bit of treble. So I'm going to kick this on. That's not right. the way I'm approaching that. It's, it's more, Hey, this, this section of the song needs a unibide, you know, so hit my unibide. Um, I think that's that that speaks to the caliber of player he actually is, which is, yeah. you know, he's listening to himself, not oh, like, yeah. not like listening to himself, monitoring himself, you know, like to, so he can play, but like actually listening and enjoying what he's doing to the point where he knows that, you know, he wants to do this for a specific effect. It's like a painter that actually like revels in the fact that they love their art. I guess is the way it would. Exactly. Exactly. Not only I mean, I, like I'm, creating it, but they also like listening to it too, you know? Right. And I'm not saying there's a, there's no place in this world for people who set their volume on 10 and go. Sure. I mean, we got, hell, I'm sure we spent, you know, half of the sets in our life with our volume on 10. Exactly. I mean, the, the truth is that there's a lot of, if you've ever been to see a band, I think I've talked about this before, and I think it's worth reiterating. You ever been to see a band where they come out and they're on 10 first song? Yeah. There's nowhere to go. Yeah. And and you hope that the, the PA's got enough juice that they can give you that extra boost here and there. Yeah. It just feels like there's nowhere to go. Uh, Actually, I get a lot of enjoyment out of going to a show, especially at a local venue, if they got an actual honest-to-God sound guy and watching what he does. Because you can see, like, how much work actually goes into manipulating the faders. It's rarely a set it and forget it affair, right? It's, and and so you think about all these bar bands that go in with no sound guy and how they're getting through those gigs. It's, it's pretty amazing, you know, that, that they can sound pretty good, but not really have, they, they're, they're, they're dynamically flat. You know, there's no louds and softs in the songs or anything like that. Right. It's all the same volume. Correct. I mean, you know, it, that's where um, it gets to be like, there's a, there's the other side of it. We've talked about this too. Let's say I've got my amp um, input gain um, and channel the, the channel volume. Crank, yeah, you're right? talking about dynamics. Like you're, right. I see where you're going with this already. Compression and dynamics. Right. It's like, We've got it. Right. You got to think about where am I compressing? Where, where can I get dynamics? What, what are different types of dynamics? It can be the amount of notes you play. It can be in the, in the way that you strike the, the strings. The distance between notes. Right. Um, Cause 
I, we we played a minor blues thing the other night, and I I consciously said I'm gonna stretch everything because the the first start the first song I did I was really legato and like there was some staccato stuff in there. Second song I was like I'm gonna stretch things. I want things to last, and I want I want big notes. I want huge bends. Like that was the way I thought about things, and and it it panned out. Like it was, I think the the, the audience liked it, um, and so I feel like um, making those conscious choices. I couldn't have done that with my if my gear hadn't been set the way it was. I would have been I would have been rolling the game back, you know, and that kind of stuff to try and to try and accomplish the the different dynamics. Um, if you've ever done a slow minor blues, then you know that like a lot of it's in, you know, how you choose the, uh, phrasing, phrasing for those of you who can't hear me yawn. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, I think about, I think about dynamics and I think about like when I watch a sound guy and even just how, when I'm starting to get into, um, doing a lot of automation in my recordings, and I'm starting to realize that the dynamics of the song determine whether whether something sounds subdued or whether it's in your face. And it's and it's little micro changes and things. But even just watching a sound guy, um, you know, when they get to the verse of the song, he pulls back the volume a little bit. And then when the, the chorus sets in and they got the heavier guitars coming in, they push the volume just just a hair. But you don't get that if you're a bar band with, you know, no ability to touch your mixer. Now you got these new mixers that have Wi-Fi apps and, and iPad apps and all that, and you can go in and you can make adjustments on the fly. And I think that's becoming more of a common thing. Um, I did a gig a while back with a keyboard player who was manipulating our live sound, you know, from the, from the, the desk, which was actually at his keyboard. Um, and that's okay. But I really feel like, in his situation, he couldn't hear the mains, so he's kind of cursed anyway, unless he has, you know, like a headphones, you know, headphones on where he can hear what the mains is hearing, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. Got anything you want to add, Jim? No, no. I I think we, we hit out the nail on the head. I, um, we, have I a new, we, have a new, we have a new Patreon supporter. Oh, we do? What's it? Uh, Paul Pickley. Oh, thank you, Paul. Yep. Thank you very much. I wanted to make sure and that we brought that up. We've got to make a decision whether or not to make that that uh, video for uh, the Patreon group of uh, what happened. Oh yeah, for me. I, yeah. I think you probably have. We got enough patrons. You know what? I will definitely tell that story at Sweetwater. I will definitely. Tell yeah, that story I think we should save that for. Well, Sweetwater. yeah, we'll wait, and then and then when you see me in person, you see me tell a story, you're gonna see. Oh my god, I will definitely have a beer in hand when I get that story. We have um, right now we have seven current Patreon subscribers. Hey, that's awesome. Yeah, so um, if anybody feels so inclined, we do have a Patreon. You can yeah. you know donate a buck a month and um you'll get into our little, we have a little private Facebook chat group. That's pretty yeah. active. And we, we talk quite a bit in there. And yeah, we, we do. Share, we actually share details about the show and um, we do talk about, you know, what we can, how we can improve things for the show. And um, yeah. we've had people that have been, uh, been in that Patreon group for quite some time now. Um, and we appreciate all of you that are in our Patreon group. Um, so, you know, 
they, thanks for, you know, uh, obviously supporting the show. Um, actually, your money actually helped uh, secure the Airbnb for um, our show get together at, at uh, Gearfest. So that's that's good, um, which there's some hilarity that ensued there, too, because I I got enough money from from um, people who pay, prepaid to go ahead and book um, our Airbnb. And when I I because I'm, I'm up front with the host, like I, I let them know what we were doing. And um, of course, they have a no partying thing or whatever. And I'm like, well, it's not really a party, but we got we got a big group coming in. You know, right. there's going to be fun stuff going on. We're going to be playing music. Right. There's going to be uh, very little drinking, if any. And there will yeah, be no well, illicit I drugs. Think, I think there's no I think there's a no alcohol rule here. I mean, if you guys want to drink, we'll go to the bar or something. Yeah. But um, the main thing is that like when I mentioned that we were going to be playing music and I was like, we're all coming in for Gear Fest, like, oh, we love Gear Fest. Uh, my husband wants to know if he can come over and hang out. And I'm like, oh, cool. all right. I, I was like, yeah, why not? I don't, I don't care. Um, but that's kind of funny, you know, that to have the Airbnb host at the Airbnb. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So. That that will be fun. And um, I think that those who want to join us, you will have a good time. Um, there's no there's no pressure to join us. Um, certainly. Uh, yeah, I think we've run out of I think we've actually run out of space at the Airbnb. In the in the Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. It depends, like if somebody drops out or whatever, we'll obviously uh, publicize that. But uh, for the time being, I think because because honestly, we're it's like six people in a you know one bath like thing. It's gonna be it's gonna be kind of nightmarish anyway. Um, but we'll make it work. I'll I'll wash up in a sink or something. J- Jim's done the navy shower thing before. <laughs> I have. I lived the Navy shower. The only yeah. thing I absolutely have to wash every morning is my hair. Otherwise, it looks, I don't know why, but I look like a like a mop. You left out, like you forgot to ring it, and you left it outside in the rain. There will be <laughs> there will be plenty of time to shower and all that stuff. It's I, Gear, yeah. Fest, Gear Fest is a big, like, it's a big event during the day, but... Yeah most people are back at the house at six o'clock anyway. So it's like, you got like four hours and I think we can all make it work. So yeah, I'm not so. worried about it. Um, and these people seem to be really, really friendly. So I think we'll be, I think we'll be cool. The funny thing is what, that with my hair, this is so something that if I don't get it, if I don't wash my hair within 24 hours and we're talking about like literally could set your clock by it. My wife used to, to joke with me about it until we actually timed it. If I don't wash my hair in exactly 24 hours, it goes from looking like this, like a dried out thing, right? Looks dry and fluffy or flaky. It instantly looks like a, a, a greasy mop. Just all I have to do is run my hair through it once after the 24 hours and it just looks like a greasy mop. It's it's terrible. I don't know what it is. I don't I've had all these hair scientists and all these people, oh yeah, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this. And I tried putting, um, you know, moisture into it, taking moisture from it. It's just exactly 24 hours. My, my head just goes, oh. <laughs> I just get to the point where I don't care, especially when I'm outside, out of town. I just, I don't worry about it. I do. Um, I'm the kind, I'm that guy. I'm pull, pulling the little hairs that are too long in my yeah, eyebrows. And, he's very and vain. I, he's very vain, folks. Like he's very like into himself and into his appearance. You should see him on the show. I've seen him plucking his eyebrows and stuff. It's hilarious. It's um, he's he's waxing his eyebrows on the show as we speak right now. In fact, yeah, 
Yeah, he's he's waxing his eyebrows. And and I'm pretty sure I see a razor in the background. He's getting ready to shave too. And he's going to bed, folks. Like this is nuts. Now, just to give you an idea, though, that he's not too far off. To give you an idea, I did actually trim my mustache and and tweeze my eyebrows. He's like, he's like, I, can't don't dare, I don't dare this. let David see this. <laughs> look at my hair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, um, look at me. I don't care. I literally, it's obvious I don't care. Well, we both have that thing on top going on. No, I, my wife finally gets, so, so my wife has a cosmetology certificate. She's, yeah. she's, she's licensed in the state of Illinois. And um, my hair is getting long, and I was I was kind of debating like, do I grow it out? I mean, I yeah. can't, and I have I've done it before, but um, I'm not gonna. Well, and, you have wavy hair. Yeah, I, it's it's I look like Murder Face from from uh, uh, Metalocalypse, and it doesn't get any, <laughs> it doesn't get any any longer. Like it's my, it stays that length no matter what my, I do. Mine looks like Tom Petty. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, yeah, because you got that stick straight, straight hair. and lifeless. Anyway, um. Uh, so I, apparently she, she's giving me license today. We were walking into Chipotle and, uh, I was going to get my, I was going to get my bowl, you know? And she goes, um, uh, she's like, you know, you can go get your hair cut. Like, I just don't have time to deal with it anymore. <laughs> it's like, I was like, all right. I was like, all right. I'm glad you said that. Cause like, I was going to ask you, um, but yeah, so I'm going to start caring a little bit more about my personal appearance, but not much. Um. I think that goes with the uh, the stage aspect of the you know the um, uh, Buffalo Hill experience. Yeah. So, <laughs> which, by the way, I went back and forth with the host at Brower House the other night when I when I did the um, I did the open mic thing. They asked me. They're like, "Well, um, they're like, how do you want us to announce you?" Because I put down on the list that I'm as Buffalo Hill, right? And then they're like you're david hill right i'm like well yeah and then they were like well so what what did you write down buffalo bill and i'm like no 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 buffalo and i explained it and then we went back and forth and it was like they couldn't figure out what they were gonna say and i'm like just don't worry about it like it's not a big deal just just i'll get up there and i'll do my thing you know it's like whatever it's not a big issue i don't make big deals about that kind of stuff um which that's not that was a whole other that's another conversation for another day. But anyway, um, we're, we're hitting an hour and a half. I think it's, we guys got a long episode last week, so I think we can hit a sh- little bit shorter one this week. And, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I have been David. I have been Jim. And tonight we've been practical guitarists. And a little silly. Yeah.